And I spread a song so you can sing along With my special guest star or two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals, or in today's case, operas. I'm your host, John, and with me is a New York City-based opera singer and performer, and I'm so happy that I have him because he was in the 2019 uh, Metropolitan Opera House production of Porgy and Bess. It's Mario Hines! Hey, good afternoon, good morning for those people that are still waking up <laughs> on this podcast. Mar- Hello, everyone. Mario, how many times have you done this show? Two times, actually. The first one was at the Lyric Opera of Chicago, and then the Met was my second time. So I've been fortunate to be able to do this production in two major houses. <laughs> Good. Yes. Yeah. I worked at the Met one, but it's been so long since I remember sitting through it. Which version did they do? Because reading about the history of the show, you see that there's different adaptations and things like that. So, well, the Lyric Opera Chicago did um, Francesca Zambello's production of it, which was entirely different. It was more of a industrial setting a lot of metal a lot of fences it was really interesting take and the met was more of a minimalist production for those that are not familiar with it or at least haven't seen pictures of it oh i meant more so like was it the original four hour long one oh no no one does that no one does the original no absolutely the last time they did the original was when the met first did it in the 80s that was the only time. But any production you see of Porgy and Beth, it is, it's rarely done in the full production. Otherwise, you'll be sitting there for four hours. Which is ironic because a lot of people are willing to sit through a Wagner opera, which is sometimes even longer. Oh, yeah. They're about six hours long. <laughs> yeah. So... On exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're talking about the movie version of Porky and Bess, and I'm so sorry I made you watch this. I thought it was going to be a little more delightful. Um, oh no! <laughs> the, I mean, where do we? I mean, where do we start? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to start with some little background stuff just to get it out of the way, and then we'll okay. delve into it. Um, the screenplay was by N. Richard Nash, libretto by. De- uh, du Bois Hayward. Du Bois. Du Bois, yeah. excuse me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Southern lady, so Du Bois Hayward. Adapted from the play Porgy by Dorothy Hayward and Du Bois Hayward. Music by George Gershwin. Lyrics by Ira Gershwin. As well as Dorothy Hayward. I feel like she had a hand on in some of it from what I was reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Otto Preminger. Perminger, and according to IMDb, a woman whose past is scorned by nearly everyone around her meets a man who'd love her regardlessly if only everyone else would allow them to. That is the best one sentence ever to describe it, I have to say. Yeah, but like watching the the movie, I was just like, does Sidney Poitier and Dorothy Dandridge, like, have chemistry? Well, here's the thing. 
the only act, the only leading actor that was actually eager to do it was Sammy Davis Jr. Which so they died. <laughs> so from what I noticed, you had actors that didn't even want to do this show or movie. <laughs> you know, you're a stage actor wins, but yes. you have most of the actors that really did not want to do it. So it was kind of just like, from what I gather, they were just like, let's just make a movie and get this over with. And it showed. And it I'm, really showed. And while watching it, I'm so sorry that I gave you like the wrong information in terms of songs because apparently there is no set list anywhere of songs in Porgy and Bess in any iteration no. of it. No, no. <laughs> I'm very surprised at that. Even like the original version, there's no like, these are the titles, and then people know which ones to cut and whatnot. Right, right. Well, did you know that actually Columbia Pictures wanted to do the movie in 1942, but they wanted an all-white cast in blackface? Stop it. And no, and, and, and the gag is, it would have been Al Jolson as Porgy, Rita Hayworth as Beth, no. and, get, and get this, wait for it, Fred Astaire as Sport and Life. <gasps> Oh my God, I didn't really could delve you, that deep into the trivia, but oh my God. Could you imagine? No. Like, I, like first of all, you can't, first of all, the Porgy and Beth movie right now has never been released to VHS or DVD. Right. But if they, but if they did this in blackface, it would have been banned. Yes. But so they realized that that was never going to happen. That was unrealistic. So then it was sold to 20th Century Fox and Ruben Mamoulian, who directed the Broadway show, um, was going to cast Paul Robeson as Porgy, Lena Horne as Beth, and Hattie McDaniel as Mariah, which actually probably would have been a lot more interesting. Which one was Mariah? She was um, Pearl Bailey Plater. The one that lost the, her husband at the no, beginning? No, the one, no, like the, forget, no, I'm trying to not use a stereotype, but the matriarch, there we go. Okay. Well, because yeah. there was a lot of how I saw it and how I understood it. Obviously, I didn't have like a libretto in front of me and I was kind of like not grasping onto it. <laughs> unfortunately but like they never introduced her so there's a lot Mm. of characters that have lines and uh lines within songs that seem important but like they're never there's no like oh hey ruth or yeah it it takes a while for like clara sings summertime and then she's introduced uh, uh, like her name is said well i will say this as someone who has done the opera and has been familiar with the music, it's kind of like embedded in me now. It was interesting hearing it not sung, but spoken. And it does, I, I don't necessarily think it works. You know, with it, I mean, with it song, you, of course you have melody and action, but it just becomes choppy when spoken. And yeah. I'm not sure if you kind of grasped that or kind of figured what that was, why the wording was a little off. I mean, you can definitely tell that there was some dialogue that was supposed to be sung, obviously. Exactly, exactly. I just, I just, I just, I don't know what happened. 
<laughs> I'm happy I watched it though for the experience and yeah. this way we can have a conversation about it. But like, my God, something happened on uh, while I was watching it. Oh. Uh, so who did you play in both productions? Well, I was in the ensemble and lyric opera Chicago. And then I was in the ensemble in the Met, but I understudied Nelson. And that's another story. That's another podcast. And then both shows, I was mainly front and center in the picnic scene. Because okay. I kind of forced myself upon the choreographers. <laughs> hey, look at me. I dance. <laughs> I dance. <laughs> I'm a mover too. I can... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she, she's a triple threat. Let me do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um summertime in the like summertime is like one of the most popular songs would you say sure. from this yeah song? sure absolutely did it absolutely is it supposed to be that high as it was in the movie it was actually supposed to be higher wait no live if okay it's it, lower in the production no is it come on you have perfect pitch summertime, <laughs> summertime. Yes, in the movie, it was lower. In the actual production, when Clara sings it, it's higher. Really? I thought it yes. was. I, I may have been thinking of other iterations of it, because I know... Now, I think in the Broadway production, they do the same key. In the recent Broadway revival, they did the same key as they do in the movie, as they did in the movie. Guys, bear with me. I'm still waking up and I have my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, I read that it was covered by various artists over time. And I might be thinking of one of those sure. recordings rather than sure. the show. So to me, yeah. it was just a little like jarring. And I was just like, that's really high. <laughs> yeah. It's actually supposed to be higher. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then I'm trying to remember the stage show as well. During the hurricane, isn't there supposed to be like a big chorus moment? Uh-huh. There sure is. There okay. sure is. Yes. Cause I I worked at the Met for about five years. Little 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 known facts about me. And you know, after doing so many productions, I was just like, Am I thinking of this one or am I thinking of another one that had also a hurricane? Mm-hmm. That, that was a big chorus moment but yeah okay good good I'm because I remember I remember sitting through our performance of it and that hurricane moment was just so beautiful and very well done and then it doesn't happen in the movie and I'm just like no. guys you missed a great moment <laughs> right well you know actually I don't know if you know about this but um Otto Preminger did not like how Sam Goldwyn edited his movies. So if you notice, there's always like, the film is like basically in one long take. He did that on purpose. He did that on purpose because he did not want Goldwyn editing the crap out of it and giving you that widescreen close-up. If you you notice, there's not many close-ups at all. No, no. Well, I I was thinking that was because they hated each other, but... Well, yeah. I mean, or I don't know. If, I don't know if they hated each other, but I think at the very least, he hated how he edited movies, and so he didn't want that to happen. That's why 
you see these long takes, which I also think that think is what made it get a little boring after like 20 minutes because it's like I'm seeing the same angle. <laughs> Granted, we watched this on YouTube and it's not the best quality because there is no... And there's that too. Version now, of it. There is that. I mean, I saw yeah. that it was, I read that it was only shown on television once in 1967 and then after yeah. that it was pulled right. from everything. <laughs> like... I'm sure it'll be a matter of time before it's pulled from YouTube. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully it's still there by the time this episode comes out so people can witness it along with us. True. Um, no, actually, they no, they actually showed it at what is the movie theater next to the Metropolitan Opera? You know what I'm talking about? Which one? There's like three there. The- there's, like, there's like one big like Lincoln Center movie theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, they actually showed um, the Pork and Best movie. Um, yeah. As a part of the whole picture of Pork and Best coming to the Met. So they had some singers and they had some people give commentary about it. I wasn't there because I had just done the show. So. Are, you, <laughs> are you talking about like the Eleanor Bunham, Bunham Theater? Maybe. Where it's like literally right next door to the Met? Yes, whatever that movie theater, yeah, that one. Yeah, so, oh my god, that, because, <laughs> like, you can clearly tell that Sammy Davis Jr. is just, like, having the most fun out of everyone. And you know what? They didn't want to cast him. Really? They, he actually, like, it, basically, he wanted the role so bad. And, like, I think... Legend has it that he was at a party with Otto Preminger and then he just started performing. And basically, the team was like, you know what? If we give you the world, will you just shut the fuck up and leave us alone? <laughs> That's basically what it was. <laughs> well, I, I, I was reading about it and um, on the soundtrack, he's not featured because he has a con- he had a contract with a competing... With Decca. With yeah. Records. So Cab, I think it was Cab Calloway played him. Yeah. And then Cab Calloway eventually like did it on as a revival in 1952. Um, and that one also starred Maya Angelou as Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, Maya Angelou in an opera? What the fuck is going on yeah. here? <laughs> I yeah. hope she still had the same cadence where she did right. later in life. <laughs> Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. would eventually record the soundtrack like on his own label yeah with Carmen McRae I believe that's how you pronounce her last name Uh, yeah oh trust me I've I've done research on this because I was just like oh I'm I'm having an opera singer on who kind of knows the history of all this I need to know everything (laughs) or try to look I'm still learning (laughs) ain't Um, no shame in the game did you okay? So I was a little like thrown by this. I didn't realize the Haywards were white folks. Yeah, I did not know that. And then obviously yeah, I know are. the Gershwins. So the way that they handled the subject matter, it felt honest, right? Am I am I am I right in saying that, or am I? I mean, honest, given the time period. Given the, yes, granted, given the time period. I mean. 
Yeah. And I saw pictures of the play version, Porgy, a play in four acts. And yeah. they actually hired black actors to come in and play right. the roles, which I was just floored by because that never, that didn't really happen in the 20s. Right. So, <clears throat> so it seems like they wanted to, from what I'm, my understanding of it is that they wanted to have uh, people of color play these roles because that's who they wrote it for. They didn't want... Exactly. It didn't seem like they wanted blackface. So that whole blackface movie that they wanted to do. (laughs) Right, exactly. Exactly. Although in some... There have been all white productions of Corgi and Bess. No. Mainly in in Central Europe. And I think there's like... First of all, the Gershwin estate says you cannot have white actors do the show. But I think there is something where it's like, if there's no way, shape, or form you can find Black people to do the show, you can still do it. So, the, so then how do they do the whole, like, with the, with the cops coming, the detectives and all that? Like, oh my God, that's so, that's so wild. <laughs> it is wild. Unless you flip the script and their their people of color that would that would be commentary <laughs> and some and, and probably there are some european production that's doing exactly just that <sighs> as a social no. commentary to make a statement and it's just like no no i mean it, they, has, it hasn't happened but i wouldn't put it past anyone to be and that. it's i mean it's also set on on mars like <laughs> You may yeah. as well go for broke no. on this one. Set in Transylvania during the time warp. Yes, I would yes, see exactly. that. Produ- I would see that production. I would see that one. Oh my Dr. Frank and Frederick Porgy and Janet Weiss's best. I w- yeah, I would see that. Columbia uh, as um. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so I wrote out a bunch of questions. Usually I don't do this for other episodes, but I was just lost the whole time. Okay. Um, I know Porgy's supposed to be a crippled beggar man. Yeah. Do they specify how his legs are messed up? Because... No, they don't, actually. Because having him walk around on his knees... My my knees were hurting for Sydney Portier. <laughs> right. But um, I'm sure he had knee pads, I'm sure. Oh yeah, but like I, walking around in in hours upon hours on yes. on his knees for this role. I was just like, just give just give him a leg brace. Like right. <laughs> have a limp. <laughs> right. Oh uh, my god, I lost my train of thought. I was gonna say something. It'll come back. It happens to the best of it us. It does. It does. I felt lost for a lot of the story. I mean, you mm-hmm. were in it. Did you understand their version of it? Or were you just like, you're missing a lot of things here? A little bit of both, mainly because I just have background with the show and done it. So I kind of know I'm pretty much familiar with the plot. So I, so I was able to follow along because I just know what happened. But even... If I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong, but there isn't so much backstory in the opera as to why he's crippled and how did best get here. 
And I wonder if there's more of a backstory in the actual book itself. Well, I read that um, Porgy, the character, is based on a, a real man named Samuel yeah. Smalls. Yeah. Um, and uh, DuBose Hayward <laughs> wrote it based off of a news story and some other things going on in Charleston. So it was like, mm-hmm. it was very interesting to realize, you know, oh, this is a real person. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they based Sidney Porte's version on the real person. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But, you know, I was just, I was just like, just give him a limp and a cane. It'll be easier for him and everyone else. And as someone who has dabbled in film a little bit, I can only imagine. I was shooting a music video and we were there for like six hours just doing the same thing. So I could only imagine what it's like to do a movie. <laughs> well, so this, and being on your knees, to your point. This came out in 59, so they were doing things a little differently. I feel like they were a little faster with things, and they didn't okay. have to do, like, 7,000 takes of everything. But yeah. still, you gotta... If, if one person messed up, you have to start over again, or what have you. And... <laughs> at, weeks, days, months, however long it took, his knees must have been aching. And also a side note, you also knew, did you know that Dorothy Dandridge and the director Otto Preminger were dating? No. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Yes. Yes, Otto Preminger and Dorothy Dandridge were dating. And I don't know, and um, Carmen Jones, that's how, that's how he met her. Uh-huh. And he was like, I'm going to make you a star. By Porgy and Bess, he was like, I'm going to destroy this bitch. So there was a lot of tension. Wait, I'm, I'm just looking up Carmen Jones. That was like five years before this movie. <laughs> exactly. Oh my and God. Porgy and, Bess was, and Porgy and Bess was supposed to restart Dorothy Dandridge's career. <gasps> no. I mean, that, she would... that, that was the movie that was supposed to get her back. I mean, she she could sing the part for sure. I just don't know. I think there were things going on with this movie that was just like, she wasn't giving a great performance. Because he was cussing her out and screaming yes. at her. And then obviously the other actors probably didn't feel the best around her. I mean, right. um, Pearl Bailey, like, was was friends with her since probably Carmen Jones probably before that and so right uh oh uh, uh, that's so oh uh, that's so heartbreaking and another fact is Pearl Bailey agreed to do the role as long as she didn't have to wear a bandana because that would have just made her look like Aunt Jemima and there's a little fa- there's a little fact that um when they were doing costume fittings and every other actress had a bandana and Pearl Bailey just screamed. No one is wearing a damn bandana. Wow. No one is. Good for her. Yeah. Show show the hair. Yeah. (laughs) What you spend hours and hours on. Show it. (laughs) So there were a few bandanas here and there, but it wasn't like every woman had one. Because Pearl Bailey was like, you're not doing this to us. Yeah, because that'd be that'd be too easy. You want you want so easy. diversify, right? 
Okay, so in the stage version, is it clear how Crown survived the hurricane? Nope. Okay. <laughs> and it's so, you know what? It's so funny because having done the show, you just don't think about how did he end up there? Well. Yeah. No, hold up. No. Oh. He, oh. he kills Robbins at the beginning and then he has to run away so the police won't catch him. Yes. So we know that much. But how we ended up in the island, we don't know. So we know why he left and why he was there, but we don't know necessarily know how. I just assume he swam there. He swam there. Maybe, maybe. And then somehow he survived the hurricane while trying to be a hero. But that I got. Right. I have to say though, this movie was weird. But that whole hurricane sequence in the church—I'm assuming yeah. it's, it's church—that was great. I loved that scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was one of the best scenes, if not the best scene. And uh, what is the name of it? I want to I say the right name of it. Um, oh, I Can't Sit Down. That's that's like the big dance number, right? Yeah. I just wish it was a little more dancey <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. But right. it was, it's it's that bop and you're just like, fuck yeah, I'm, in, I'm into this. Yes, musical number. <laughs> yes. So, would you classify the movie as a musical or as an opera? It's definitely a musical. It was meant to be. Well, you know, that's that's the whole argument. That or that at least has been the whole argument until the Met did the production, whether this was a musical or an opera. I mean, the opera did originally open on Broadway, so there's that. Mm-hmm. And it was revived on Broadway. So maybe call it a Broadway opera. So what does what does an opera make versus what does a musical make? Do you know? Is there anything? Well, well, let's talk about the difference between the opera itself and the recent revival of it. And if you had seen the revival, which actually it had been, that was my first Broadway show that I ever saw when I came to New York. Ooh, the That's the one. The, the one, with one McDonald and Norm Lewis. Yeah, yeah, where where she where she won a Tony, and then you got to stand yeah. like feet away from her, inches yeah. away from her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So actually, the Broadway revival actually did what the movie did as far as taking some of the song song words and making them spoken, and mm-hmm. for some odd reason, it actually worked on stage more than it did in the movie. I mean, it's Audra fucking McDonald. She could make well, anything Yeah, there's happen. that. Yeah, <laughs> of course. When, when, you have good at, when you have good actors that want to do the show, it makes a huge difference. And presumably a safe space. And presumably a safe space, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Some of, the, some of the songs were in a lower key as well. And they definitely cut a lot of stuff, like they did in the movie. The opera's yeah. just huge. <laughs> yeah, I think my final tally of all the like the number of songs was twenty six, maybe more, because mm-hmm. you know you have that whole church sequence, but there's like four or five songs happening there. Right. <laughs> so I was just like, I don't, I don't know, and you know looking them up different websites had different names for songs so i was just like mm-hmm. i give up i i don't know what to call you yeah mm-hmm. 
But yeah, you were saying that this is closest to the 2012 revival. Yes. And um, the Met did more of an operatic version in yes. the one that you were in. They did. Yeah, how Gershwin actually wanted it. But not the four hour long one. With the Yeah, but not the four hour long one. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've I've done plenty of shows that are hours upon hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which Music is so is interesting. <laughs> Music is great, which is so interesting and ironic because pe- people will sit for a five hour Wagner opera, but we can't do a five hour production of Porgy and Beth. Well, that is pretty long. Do you know? I mean, I, I, if you don't have the answer, that's fine. Do you know, like, what was cut from the original original production that made it into like what the Met did? There was a lot of the sung through dialogue uh-huh. and the recit that was cut. Um, there were a few arias that were cut as well, and a few scenes as well. Did they help the story, or were they just? The things that were cut? Well, there were things that it was neither or. If it was there, great. If it wasn't, does it make or break the entire story? I mean, not going to lie. I, I just, I, I loved listening to it. I didn't, unfortunately, when I worked it, it Audra wasn't there. I mean, she, it, it would have been great to have seen her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was busy working elsewhere at the time. <laughs> Speaking of Audra, actually, has she ever recorded Summertime? I feel like I've heard her sing it before. Yeah, she has. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know she sings it, she would sing it in the show, but like the long, the first ver- um, version of it in the show, which I think mm-hmm. is the longer one. Yeah. Uh, this movie was just so weird. <laughs> it was. It was weird. Uh, so, Okay. We get to, we, uh, they have the picnic on the island. Uh, they're leaving and Crown abducts Bess, right? Yes. Um, was she raped? <laughs> well, that depends on the, di- that is contingent upon the director because it can go either or. There in our production and in the Broadway production, she kind of, reverts back to him, for lack of a better term. It's kind of like she gets seduced back to him. And so she's just like, no, crown, stop, 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 stop. And then like five seconds later, don't stop, don't stop. (laughs) Kind of what was happening in the movie, it felt like. Yeah. Where, you know, Stockholm Syndrome kicks in and you're like, I love you again. (laughs) Right, exactly. But then for... Is it Oh Doctor Jesus? Is that the one where she's like in sick? she's yeah. sick in bed? So mm-hmm. that's where I was a little confused because I was like, is she going through withdrawal? Is she like going through the rape that may or may not have happened? Do you give me an answer? <laughs> what do you think is happening in the movie? <laughs> I'm giving you an educated guess. I think she got she did the do or whatever. And then she walked back to Catfish Row and probably, you know, in the jungle you have animals and insects and the sun is blazing. So she's probably just like... Out of it? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, you know, I probably was giving it a little too much <laughs> than it than this movie needed because I was just like, mm-hmm. is is she actually dying or is it like? No, she's not dying, but I think she's probably traumatized as well and scared and probably having a nightmare at that time in addition to being sick. Because the happy happy dust is that the name of it? Happy dust, yes. Yeah, that's. That's Coke, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she's a little she's a little bit of a cokehead. <laughs> yes. Uh, it could I be just, withdrawal. It could be. It 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 very well could be, or as part of it. I never thought of that until you mentioned it. Well, yeah, because you know I know that that's like one of her characteristics is that she's um, making bad life choices until she meets Porgy and then is like we're in love now. Your that typical was... musical, your typical musical or opera, you know, that you got to was... speed things up. You only got two hours, so <laughs> that was wild. You know, she's the, uh, you you beat her. She buys coke from Sport and Life. Crown murders a man, and then she just sings to she sh- sings to Porgy. Uh, I'm your woman now. <laughs> what did I wait? What did I write down? Um, what? Sydney Portier and Dorothy Dangers look at look like they're over each other's shit and are shouting in each other's faces. <laughs> well, that's probably what happened because they were just over the damn movie. <laughs> they didn't want to do it. And it showed. <laughs> it was like, y'all are literally just clocked in and are going through the motions. Meanwhile, you have Sammy Davis Jr. and oh God, what was that actor's name? I just looked it up. And Brock Peters, who played Crown, like they're legit giving you something, it felt like. Right, right. Like, Brack, uh, Brack Peters was all into the misogyny of everything that Crown is, and Sammy Davis Jr. was just being himself, I guess, but he was exactly. still in it to win it. Exactly. Which, I don't know, that's always interesting when a not-so... When you have an actor in a not-so-great movie that's, like, committing... Like, does that make it better or worse? It's like, are you in? Like, did he not get the memo that this movie sucks? <laughs> or was he trying to save it by himself? Or was he trying to save it? Which, hey, which actually, sport and life, kids steal the show. Um, I did look. I did go in a deep dive on this on on the Wikipedia mm-hmm. page of Poor Game Bass. Yeah, um, and I listened to a. I listened to a experimental psychedelic rock band cover the uh, the whole so- score of Porgy and Bess, and it sounded a little more honest than this movie. <laughs> Interesting. the the band The band's name is "When People Were Shorter and Lived Near the Water." It was. It's wild. Um, you would probably your ears will bleed a little. I'm not gonna lie. Because they are truly just like banging on everything that's around them, but they 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 did their interpretation, quote unquote, of the source mm-hmm. material. But like I said, it sounded a little more honest than a lot of the like. I mean, I felt like the people sang great and what have you. It was just that their emotions were just not there. Yeah. 
And I don't know if that also has to do with the angles, because you really, there were moments, particularly in the song, that needed those close-ups. Yes. Like, show me her beautiful face. I want to see Dorothy Dandridge. Yes. I loved her in Carmen Jones, like... Exactly. Ah, she's a goddamn diva and deserves... Right. (laughs) Deserved better. She Uh, sure did. Um... What else was there? There's just so much to talk about because obviously there's like a million songs. I won't make us go through them, but is there, was there anything that you noticed that they changed musically from like when you did it? Um, basically more or less every song. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they cut something or they changed the key or what have you. Something. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> And this poor show (laughs) just gave me the four hour long version because exactly, exactly unedited. Let's, let's do it. I did. I did read though, that a remake is in development with uh, writer director D Reese. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, there's nothing really written about it, but hopefully (laughs) fingers crossed. Yeah. She casts people, and you know, D Mario here knows it. So, <laughs> exactly. Come on, Mario. and I also dance too, and I also dance too. <laughs> he, he can dance, so you know what? Let's let's cast him as Sport in Life or whatever. No, let's not. That is not my ministry. <laughs> I do not sing that role. Not I, yet, at least. You know, <laughs> sometimes I I ask guests this later, but I'll ask it now to you. What role would you want to play? I mean, obviously, I love, you... the, I love the smaller roles, like the smaller supporting cast roles. That's always kind of been my my go to since the spring musicals in middle school when I got a small part in Wizard of Oz, and still people noticed me. So I was just like, I like just... doing the support. I love doing the supporting roles and letting the the cast member ugh, let the leads just be worried. Let me say my one or two, three, ten lines and be backstage and ready for the curtain call. <laughs> so, like, you wouldn't want Jake, even? No. First of all, I'm a tenor. That rolls a baritone. Sorry. I'm, so- I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, to Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, like, a um, uh, one of the craps games guys that you may want to play? Yeah. 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 One of those. Yeah. Or the honey, the honey man? The yeah. Honey man. Honeyman, yes. Uh, wait, what was the other? What's the other one? The, the crab, crab man. man. Yes. Yeah, where you get to still be in a lot of scenes and everything because they need ta- they need bodies on <laughs> to play townsfolk, right. but you get uh, you get a moment to shine and then you are just back back in the uh, <laughs> with everyone exactly. else. Exactly, <laughs> and that's how I love it. That's I love that. <laughs> All right, well. D. Reese, if you're listening, <laughs> I I found you your honeyman right here. <laughs> I live, I live. <laughs> um. Oh, oh, okay. So I may have blacked out a little bit while watching this when Porky gets picked up by the cops at the end. Um, they he's very adamant, not like wanting to look crown in the face because you know he murdered him but like yeah. did, 
is there did i miss something is there some sort of like uh spiritual belief that if you look at person in the face they you can they name you as the killer or whatever i guess it's that telltale heart type of thing where it was just like if you see the person that you kill in the face like you can't help but like show it in your face that oh my god i did this i i I mean, I gotta say though, I just love that he came back with money. He <laughs> was like, "I'm the only, right. I'm the only one who left with the cops that came back with money." <laughs> right. <laughs> that is kind of hilarious. It's like I'm back from jail and I bought gifts. <laughs> so you, I mean, it's it's truly an op. It, while working at the opera house, it was funny because I would always ask other employees there, you know, who dies in this op in whatever opera because that's a staple that's in opera. And if they don't die in, if there isn't, if there is an opera where people don't die, it's not an opera in my book, but in this one, it's an opera. (laughs) You've got some deaths going on and poor Clara, like, right. She got the short end of the stick on that one. She really did. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go into my closing segments of this Um, podcast? I don't think so. I don't, I think we've covered enough (laughs) for those who are listening you'll have to watch the movie and let us know what you think i gotta say though um congratulations on the i'm saying to you because you represent the whole company right now in front of me uh congratulations on the grammy nomination thank you that was a a shock (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it was uh, but like really was it (laughs) <laughs> right no it wasn't but it was just like oh okay this is happening now too um i were we are recording this before the grammys so maybe i'll enter here if you guys want or not you know <laughs> yeah hello everyone future john here i just want to take a moment to congratulate the entire company of the 2019 metropolitan opera house's production of porgy and Bess for winning the grammy Congratulations again. And now back to Mario and I discussing Porgy and Bess. Um, but let's go into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Okay. Sharp. Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments. Um, I know we kind of did that already, but we're going to really like harp on it. Um, yeah. And if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, it's flat. Okay. Do you have any sharps? <laughs> Actually, the overture. And I say that because I was just like, when I listened to the overture, I was like, gosh, I missed the stage. Oh, oh. There, there was nothing like that overture to get you going. Oh, and I just heard that and I was like, fuck, I missed this. I missed this. I missed this. And so it was just... It was nice to just hear an overture, a good overture. I gotta, I have to say though, I really did like the production design of it. I mean, yeah, I know the production that we worked on; it was minimalist, but like you can kind of you, you saw the elements because you, you need levels and platforms and things like that. So I really liked it. Um, I actually liked uh, Por- Sydney Portier's and Dorothy Dangerous's voices. Mm-hmm. It wasn't their is... voices. It wasn't. No, they were dubbed. 
I didn't know that. Okay, who yeah. whoever whoever dubbed them that? Because you know, I know Dorothy Dandridge can sing because she did Carmen Jones. That wasn't her voice either. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think it was Marilyn Horn. It was Marilyn Horn that dubbed Carmen Jones. Well, whoever sung for them, God bless you. Yes. Um, and I'm sorry that I'm not giving the right credit where it's due. And then <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr., he I wanna give him another shout out because boy tried to save this movie. <laughs> he really did. He really did. You could tell that he was in that, like, you could tell that he thought this was going to be my movie. This was going to be it for me. He was in it. He was ready to go. Yeah. Um, but obviously there were things above his pay grade that <laughs> couldn't be helped. Uh, exactly. Do you have any flats? I mean, I, there's a lot of flats. There's a lot of flats. It's like, where do you even, I can't even figure out what, how many flats, because there's just so many of them. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to say the movie itself, but the movie itself is just. <laughs> That's flat. fair. You can say that. This, this is my podcast and my rules, and you can say whatever you want during this. The movie itself is just flat. Oh. I would say what, what Sharp is, is the casting. The casting was sharp, even though nobody wanted to do it. But I thought it was on paper good casting. Yes, I see that. You know, I if, see that. Yeah. Like, in theory, this would have been a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I I like honed in a little more because I didn't say the whole movie. I wrote down how everyone seems to have forgotten to show emotion while they're lip syncing or singing. Yeah. You know, just a little just a little thing. Just a little the little thing. things. Um that one take, that one angle, there's no um I didn't like the cinematography. Is that the right term for yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, the... yeah. I thought this I thought the cinematography was very one note. But we know why that was, because Preminger didn't want mold when editing his movie. So God. There I, are no it... close ups and it's just yeah. You know, I thought this was going to be a good, I thought it was going to be a good one and we're going to have fun and talk about it, but we just end up shitting on this whole movie this whole time. <laughs> well, I, well, you know, I, I knew the movie was bad before I saw it because I just saw, I read reviews and read little tidbits about it. So I went into this knowing that it was going to be bad. But wow. wow. <laughs> I, I'm, I did, I did not. Okay. <laughs> Uh, were there any songs that you actually want, like, if you were to add any songs to your life's playlist, just the song, not the visual or anything, are there any you would like to add from the movie? From yeah, the, the overture. The- <laughs> let's start my morning with that big overture and, you know, let's just get it going. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually, I think I wrote down all like the ensemble numbers. Well, well, the ensemble is like a big character in the production. If you don't have a good chorus, you don't have Porgy and Beth. Yeah, so I wrote down Gone, 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 because that was mm-hmm. beautiful. Oh, I Can't Sit Down, because, you know, yes. I, I, I just want to bop down the street now listening while well, listening to that. I can um, see that. It it ain't necessarily so. 
I don't mm-hmm. know why. I just wrote, I just was like, this is a fun little pop as well. And then, oh lo- Lord, I'm on my way. Yeah. That one was just, because you know, it's it, pretty good too. I, I kind of forgot that this was kind of like a happy-ish ending for our leads. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, yeah, like, okay. It's not necessarily a sad ending, but it leaves you hopeful that he'll find Beth. I don't... It ends like two-thirds of the way through a rom-com. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the yeah. way that the ending is. Where right. One of the he's going after her, and they're gonna have another like moment. Like what we're missing is the, like the impassioned speech where they are brought together again at the end. Yes, and I'm okay not having it personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it feels like that's a moment that never happened in any production. Right. Uh, you know, they just were like. Porky's on his way, and that's it. The end. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm uh well Mario Mario, we are we've come to the end of this podcast. Hey, I did it. You did <laughs> it. Yay. Yay! We only took a massive dump on this movie. Um is it <laughs> just a massive one? Not just a big. just a big one. I mean you just you <laughs> like, a sensible, ma- a sensible- <laughs> dump that's all <laughs> you just like the overture the part of the movie that have the opening credits that's it <laughs> that's saying so much isn't it yes that is saying so much <laughs> um is there anything you want to plug promote um obviously people should listen to the met version of it because because mm-hmm. you're on it hello yeah Available on iTunes. Available on iTunes. I I may have downloaded it, so I have well, it. Well, good. Thank you for your support. Yes, yes. I hope you get a, a nice penny from when I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Through your residuals. <laughs> we're not talking about that on this podcast. <laughs> That's dressing room talk. Don't do it. <laughs> nope. I'm yeah. trying to go back next season. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, is there anything else you want to you want to promote? Do you, do you have do you have an album? Do you have music? Do you want to do your socials? No, you can just do social media. I have two social medias. Um, when I'm not singing, I am a photographer of dolls and action figures. I know. <laughs> But they're fierce pictures. <laughs> they, are, they are fierce pictures. Like, <laughs> listen, he sends me pictures of the dolls, and I'm just like, is that a person or is that a doll? Like, <laughs> there is one doll that you sent me recently, and I was just like, is this a drag queen? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, where can so, where can the good people find that stuff? They can find um, my official Instagram is Mario Kumalo, which is spelled M A U R I O K U M A L O. 
That was very rhythmic. <laughs> I, I I I'm here I'm here for it. I'm... And then the doll um page is the house of Kumalo. I already spelled Kumalo for you, but it's H A U S of Kumalo. Yes, because apparently we're you you you're a a ball house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're I the, love that. You're the you're the the mother of of this house. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Sorry, I've been watching Pose a lot during this time. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm ready for season three. Let's bring it on. I'm, I'm, we're all ready for season three of Pose. They should, they should do, like, I feel like they can do an all-musical episode and it'll work. I mean, I know that they yeah. have music in some of their episodes, but, like, yeah. god damn it. Do another, like, charity show or something and that uh, yeah. I'll count it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh if you want to get in touch with us, uh, get, and by us I mean me, and tell me how wrong we were about this movie and how you love it, good luck. Um, but you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com and we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. You can write in with your thoughts um, as well as maybe suggestions or mm-hmm. who would you want to play in the in this new movie version of Porgy and Bess. And if you want to catch up and be part of the conversation for next episode, and on the next episode, Jesus Christ Superstar. But we're talking about a very specific one. Um, It is from the Great Performances show. So not the original one in the desert. It's a very different one. But probably we'll talk about the one in the desert too. Who knows? (laughs) But Mario, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Thank you for having me. This was fun. Maybe I could strong arm you into coming back and we'll do a movie that you like. (laughs) (laughs) Or something that's not terrible. Does it have to be a a musical? Yes. It does. Well, Valley of the Dolls does have music. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about it off off screen. We'll talk. We'll talk, (laughs) yeah. All right, bye for now, everyone. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.